All right, welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. Hey, yes, I am excited because we finally are getting news that is not related to the coronavirus. Now, yes, it's true. There will be some things that I will need to cover that are at least in some part related to the coronavirus, and that part of the show I may be less excitable about. Now, for those of you out there, and I do thank you for staying with me, you could tell that I didn't have a whole lot of energy level as I kept going through and taking a look, coronavirus this, coronavirus that, oh, look what the government is doing, spending all this goddamn money that we don't have. You know, and you could tell that I'm not really excited to constantly be covering the whole coronavirus all the time. It is incredibly depressing. And yet, when you go through and you take a look at the news, that was all that was going on. Now, maybe you can find things that were not directly coronavirus, but somewhat related. Now, as we go through and we take a look, you know, we're starting to get more and more information about the coronavirus and indications that, yes, we can start getting to reopening the economy soon and get everybody out and about. But of course, the Democrats, they don't want any of that. But we'll get to that later. For now, let's go ahead and start with the big announcement we heard yesterday. You've probably already heard it. Bernie Sanders has dropped out of the race. Yes, he went on his live stream and he announced he is suspending his campaign. And here's what that sounded like. And so today, I am announcing the suspension of my campaign. Now, of course, we all know why I didn't have a singing career, right? So anyways, uh, Bernie Sanders comes out and he announces he's suspending his campaign. And of course, being Bernie Sanders, the complete fraud that he is, he tries to spin this in some sort of good way for him. Oh, while we have won the electability, we have won the ideological battle. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. If you won the ideological battle, you would have won the electability battle. You can't say, I have the most popular views, but I didn't win. You know, those two things do not go together. If you had the most popular views, guess what? You would have won the nomination. But not even the Democrats are crazy enough at this point, apparently, thank God, to go through and nominate Bernie Sanders for President of the United States. Now, this does have a lot of implications going forward in 2020 because the Democrats are still in the hard spot of leaving them with Joe Biden as their candidate. I mean, it was really kind of amazing to see the Democrats going through their whole primary process and end up with the two worst candidates that you can imagine left. You know, a a fraudulent old communist who's rich himself but believes in socialism going out there with absolutely no plan on how to fix everything and just going off, it is a sham that in the world's richest country that people go without affordable and then insert the issue, right? That's his whole shtick, but he never had a plan on how he was going to solve everything. He just thinks that if you declare it a human right and tax people enough, that would solve poverty. Yeah, exactly. How does taking people's money away solve poverty? Has anyone ever asked him that? And if you were to go through and tax 100% of the income 
and wealth of the top 50% of this country, you wouldn't even be able to pay for all of Bernie Sanders' promises for more than a year. So after the first year in office, we would be bankrupt, out of money, and there would be nobody to start any job. Right? So he never had any plan. I mean, he's just like a used car salesman. He's that slimy of a politician. And so when we were going out and looking at this, if the Democrats had gone through and they had elected Bernie Sanders or nominated Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders would have folded like a cheap suit. You know, he would have been exposed really quickly. I mean, Bernie Sanders never really had any chance of being able to defeat Donald Trump because we take a look at what Donald Trump's record has been over the past few years, how he took a sluggish economy, barely limping along, and he created an economic boom. Then Donald Trump went out there and he set records for record unemployment levels for the black community, for the Hispanic community, for women. Everyone was being lifted up and prospering until this whole global pandemic, thank you, China, came about and basically undid it all. But if we were going to go through and take a look at what is our best way to be able to get back to economic prosperity? Well, it would be to stick with the guy who already did it once, already did it once, you know, because we believe that he knows how to do it again. He already did it once. Why not make it a second time? And so Bernie Sanders would be going out there saying, no, 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 we need to take money away from everybody. So nobody has money to start a business and nobody would have money to hire employees. And somehow the government would just magically keep filling up with money to spread around to everyone so that you could just spend your life doing what you want. Well, jeepers, you know, let's think about that for a moment. If nobody had jobs and the government was just providing them money, who would be making the product services, houses, or even, you know, providing the food that we would need to survive? We would collapse. We would collapse pretty quickly. You know, and so Bernie Sanders dropping out, is good news for the Democrats, and it's good news for everybody because it's at least a signal that the Democrats are not as crazy or as stupid as we believe them to be. So this is a sign, yes, this is a sign that there is still some hope, some redeeming value of the left. And you know what? It's a little bit of a coincidence that on the day that Bernie Sanders comes out and announces he is suspending his campaign, the S&P 500 joins the Dow in exiting bear markets. Yes, the stock market started coming back and started surging again with Bernie Sanders out. So Fox News is reporting that U.S. equity markets surged Wednesday with the S&P 500 exiting its bear market as Senator Bernie Sanders suspends his presidential campaign. Stocks also saw support from a surge in oil prices. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained over 779 points, or 3.4%, while the S&P 500 and NASDAQ Composite rose by 3.4% and 2.6%, respectively. Now, it goes on to read here, Sanders, independent Vermont. So Sanders wasn't even a real Democrat to begin with. He's not even registered as a Democrat. Why the Democrats would let him run in the Democrat primary when he's not even a registered Democrat is beyond me. But I guess, you know, they're like, well, at least he caucuses with us. So, yes, and this is the second time Bernie Sanders has gone through in a presidential election and screwed it up for the Democrats 
leaving them with the worst possible candidate out of all the options left in the field to face Donald Trump. I mean, it's really amazing. I mean, they should be out there, you know, with pitchforks going after Bernie Sanders at this point because his actions and his disruption to the Democrat primaries has once again ensured a victory for Donald Trump. I mean, shoot, could you think of two of the worst back-to-back candidates? Now, as I was saying, it goes on to read, you know, Sanders suspending his campaign leaves former Vice President Joe Biden as the likely nominee to take on President Trump in the November election. It also opens the door for several females to potentially become Biden's running mate, as reported by Fox Business. Another supporting factor for equality uh, what our equities was oil. Sorry about that. You know, West Texas intermediate crude oil rose 6.8%. So we saw that immediately after Bernie Sanders, you know, leaves or suspends his campaign, you know, with his whole climate change is the number one threat facing humanity that, you know, once he suspends his campaign, oil prices start to, you know, rebound you know, which then affects and has a positive effect on the rest of the stock market. Yes, and so that's great. Now, as Bernie Sanders left the Democrats last time with Hillary Clinton, the worst possible outcome, now what's happening? Well, it's leaving them with Joe Biden. Joe Biden has a lot of problems. First of all, there's a sexual, you know, assault allegation. He's been me too, and the media is trying to cover that up. Also, Joe Biden obviously suffers from mental decline. I mean, you're lucky if he even knows what day of the week it is. And yet he's going out there trying to address the nation about what his plan is and how he would have handled the coronavirus pandemic. And you realize that he is completely clueless. You know, as he goes off out there and starts saying, well, you know, viruses don't respect borders. No, Joe, but viruses need people to travel. And you know what border walls stop? People. You know, but he doesn't seem to understand any of that. And so he goes off, you know, very much so uh, that he is incapable of understanding what is going on. And there is a large part of what he claims is his coronavirus response and how he would handle it are things that Trump has already announced that he's doing. So the only parts of Joe Biden's plans that make sense are the parts that he's ripping off from President Trump. And hey, President Trump is already doing it. It's Trump's plan. Why would we change that? Why would we replace him? Considering that, you know, Biden can't think of anything better to do. But then Biden has assured the nation that he is the wrong person to handle the pandemic because he was out there being asked, hey, you know what? You know, we're going to have a huge economic problem. Joe Biden, as president, how are you going to deal with that? And here's what that sounded like. Not to punish you uh, for success, uh, but if you were to win this election, win the nomination, win the general election, you may inherit an economy that'll make what you inherited in 2008 look like the halcyon days. Uh, How daunting a challenge with the disruption, the American fabric of what keeps us together. We are afraid in a way I have never seen before. How big a challenge are you looking at? 
We have an opportunity, Chris, to do so many things now to change some of the structural things that are wrong, some of the structural things we couldn't get anybody's attention on. Everyone understands that the environment has impacted on this coronavirus and mounting evidence of that. We then have to have a reconstructed part of this, just like the Recovery Act. And in that, we can do a lot to make things better. So let's go ahead and dive into that and explain why that is one of the worst answers that you could provide. Now, one, he starts admitting that his plan is not to actually try and get us through this crisis, but as to fundamentally change the structure of the United States. People don't want to change the fundamental structure. The structure of the United States is the best structure in the entire world. We have become the wealthiest nation. Anybody can go from rags to riches with hard work, effort, and a little bit of talent. Heck, Even people who don't have a lot of talent with a lot of hard work and effort can beat people who are very talented but lazy. No, and we can go through and start talking about maybe some of the things that need to be changed structurally is our politicians, you know, and just how worthless and corrupt they are. You know, maybe do something like term limits. If you're talking about that type of structural changes, yes. But considering that he's going out there and in that answer brings up, you know, the environment, climate change, as if the climate change had anything to do with this virus or anything to do with anything. You know, they, I'm not going to get into the whole thing about climate change and the left's complete and total fraud on climate change. And, you know, once again, going back and going, Hey, guess what? The models on the coronavirus were wrong. Guess what? You know, the models on climate change have never been right. Guess what? Maybe we shouldn't take these models at face value. And oh, yes, you can't verify any of the data you claim. You know, but I'm not going to get into the whole climate change thing here, but it lets him, lets us know that he's not taking this seriously. He's not addressing the fundamental underlining problems of the pandemic or the fundamental underlining problems that the pandemic is causing on the economy. And we'll get into the whole economy thing here later on in the show. All right, so stay tuned uh, for that. But then he goes off and lets us know that he would be the worst candidate because he says that he's going to go through and implement something that is very similar to the Obama recovery. Oh, yes, the Obama recovery. That is a great idea, isn't it? Because by all information, by all analysis, the Obama recovery was the worst recovery in American history was the absolute worst. You know, Obama's recovery was more along the lines of, hey, the economy was trying to recover and Obama was putting his foot down, putting the boot on the face of the economy, trying to hold it down, keep it back, which is why it took Obama leaving office and Trump coming into office for the economy to finally boom and come back. I mean, shoot, they we saw a faster recovery of the economy after Pearl Harbor and World War II than we saw here. Heck, we saw a faster, better recovering of the economy during the Great Depression than we did under Obama. And so you want to go off and say, hey, Biden's plan is to redo Obama's recovery plan. Well, then that would let us know that for four to eight years, we would be struggling in a sluggish economy that would fail to produce you know, much in the way of jobs, economic growth or economic opportunities for the individual person. So thank you, Joe Biden, for admitting 
that you would just be as bad as Barack Obama. Nobody wants to go back to the Obama days. And remember, Obama was saying that the days of 3% growth, 4% growth were over. It's impossible. The best that we would be able to do is a sluggish 1% growth, which doesn't even keep up with the rate of inflation, by the way. You know, economic growth or economic activity. Heck, the economic growth wasn't even keeping up with population growth, which is why there were so many people, record numbers of people going on welfare under the Obama administration. You know, well past, you know, the fallout of the 2008 housing crisis that throughout the Obama years, while they tried to tout there was a, you know, record, you know, or not record, but it was the longest period of economic recovery. Yeah, right. You call that a recovery. And they try to go off and say that jobs were created. And yet more and more people every single year were ending up on welfare, were ending up on food stamps, were ending up on government assistance. And that's what Joe Biden's plan is, to redo that. So nobody wants to go back to the Obama years. Or nobody wants to go back to the Obama economy. Heck, you know, even people on the left, you know, have no choice but to admit that the economy is doing much better and they have benefited under the Trump economy. Any analysis of wages in the United States would show you that wages were going up. People in the black community were starting to see economic prosperity. And you think they're going to want to go back to the Obama economy? The Obama recovery plan, Obama's, you know, crap show? No. So not only did they end up with the two worst possible candidates between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders out of the available candidates, of course, you know, the whole two worst candidates, I guess, is a little subjective. They didn't have a whole lot to work with. They didn't have any quality candidates to work with, but they had at least one or two that could have gone out and gotten some support and provided a real challenge to President Trump. But, of course, they did not go through and select them. You know, so now we're stuck, you know, in this situation, or the Democrats are stuck in this situation, where Joe Biden is going out there trying to remind everybody how bad the Obama days were, but trying to sell it as if it was good and trying to say, hey, That's what we're going to go back to. And they're going to compare that to what we've seen with Donald Trump over the last three years and go, well, shoot, the economy. You know, we just took a big hit because of this pandemic. Do we really want to go back? Could we really afford to go back to the days of Obama with barely any growth? I mean, shoot, even the black community is going to go out and go, You know, while I generally like the idea of the Democrat policies, I kind of prefer the Republican economy. And so when you go off and you take a look at this, what is going to be the most important issue to people come November? I would say with the big hit to the economy, the big issue is going to be the economy. Yes, that is going to be the big issue that everyone's going to be concerned about. Because when it comes down to it, People care most about how they're going to be able to provide for their family, how they're going to keep a roof over their head, and how they're going to keep food on the table. All those other issues that the Democrats go out there and promote and all that, 
Those are what's called secondary issues, secondary concerns, things that we really only care about when all of our primary concerns are taken care of and everything is going pretty well. And despite the media's best effort and putting Joe Biden on in order to try and pump him up as a good candidate, one that we would want to go for, they're not really doing him any favors. I mean, yes, he's a gaffe machine. Yes, it's obvious that he's suffering from mental decline and all of that. But the media, as much as they want to try and help, and let's face it, the media is going to go off and try and push and help Joe Biden far more than what they did to Hillary Clinton because he needs that much more help. The problem is, at the same time that they are going off and trying to promote Joe Biden and trying to get him as the candidate that's going to defeat Donald Trump, they're not really doing him any favors because, as I was just saying, that our primary concerns is the economy, our economic concerns, and those have to be alleviated before we start caring about all these secondary issues. But when it comes to addressing our primary concerns, the media is out there fear-mongering and trying to create a lot of panic, which means they're keeping our economic concerns at the forefront, and it's not helping Joe Biden. And here's a little bit of that. No one is immune to the COVID-19 virus. It threatens all of us. But while we are all experiencing the same pandemic, We are not experiencing it in the same way. 60 million Americans are still out there, not sheltering in place, and instead tirelessly working to keep everything going for the rest of us. And then there are the tens of millions of Americans who have lost jobs and businesses, who fear that they're just about to. Realistically, COVID-19 will be here for the next 18 months or more. We will not be able to return to normalcy until we find a vaccine or effective medications. I know that's dreadful news to hear. How are people supposed to find work if this goes on in some form for a year and a half? Is all that economic pain worth trying to stop COVID-19? The truth is, we have no choice. Oh, yes, we have no choice. We must you know, go through and deal with COVID-19 for 18 months, ravaging the economy. And so let me get this straight. For the past three years, under the Trump administration, we created an economic boom, created a lot of jobs, got wages to go up, and we were able to you know, really create a lot of jobs. And now we're into a presidential election. The economy is at the forefront, and you have a con- and you have a candidate whose experience in the White House as VP was under a president that had a horrible recovery. And you think going out there and t- reminding everybody all the people who have lost jobs, the economic damage that we're going to be dealing with this for eighteen months, eighteen months that the economy is just going to be doing horribly and people are going to be without jobs. And you think that's going to help Joe Biden? You think that's going to help Joe Biden, you know, with everybody's concerned about the economy? No, you going through and putting out that type of coverage, you basically just knocked out from under Joe Biden any chance he ever had at running and successfully defeating Donald Trump. You know, because people are going to look at the two and go, yeah, 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 you know what? I'm a liberal, but, you know, I kind of like the idea of living indoors and, 
you know, eating and having food on the table. I'm just going to vote for President Trump. And then I'll, then I'll just, you know, verify my liberal bona fides by bashing him for the next, you know, four years while I reap the benefits of his administration. So, yeah, I mean, the media is really not doing Biden any favor by putting him on TV all the time, displaying his mental decline, and then going off and highlighting everyone's primary fear and concern where everybody can go through and go, yeah, Joe Biden's not the guy with the economic recovery that we're looking for. And I get it. I get it just like the rest of you. We already know that when it comes down to it, when the media and the Democrats are going to need a distraction away from Joe Biden's mental decline, away from the economic concerns, the media is going to go out there and try and push racism. We know that. We know that is coming. And guess what? If we're not prepared for that, that would be our fault because they do this every election cycle and have been doing it for decades. But the great thing about Joe Biden is he is a gaff machine. And so he's already pretty much disarmed the media and the entire Democrat party from their best talking point. Well, not their best talking point, but from their talking point that they lean on the most, the racism argument. And so while he was going off and doing all these interviews, he said this. Average Americans, they're not asking anything about, they're not talking about divisions based on race or ethnicity or any of that malarkey. Yes, malarkey. Talking about race and division is malarkey. He just basically came out and gave us a great clip that we can run throughout the entire general election. Every time the Democrats try to go off and play identity politics, we can play that clip of Joe Biden essentially admitting that identity politics is malarkey. He's basically going off and giving us the ability to disarm their favorite talking point, their favorite distraction from all the important issues of the day and the fact that they don't have a plan to be able to address or solve anything. I mean, this is Joe Biden. Now, does this mean that we have nothing to be concerned about when it comes to Joe Biden? No, there is still some concerns. And that concern is involving who he picks as VP. Because the nation, as we've seen Joe Biden and his total decline cognitively, we understand that if he were to ever get elected and be in the White House, that he wouldn't actually be running the show, that he would just be the figurehead, the mouthpiece, and that his VP would be the one running the show. Now, Joe Biden has come out and said that, you know, he has promised to pick a woman as his running mate and the left and the media are fawning all over him. Oh, he's picking a woman. Oh, yes. You know, a woman as his running mate. How progressive is he? Yes. You know, he is such a great fighter for women's equality. And yet they're ignoring the fact that the Democrats are about 12 years late on this because the Republicans have already ran a candidate with a woman as the VP, as the second on the ticket. You know, the VP, remember back in 2008 when John McCain ran and he picked Sarah Palin as his running mate? But do you think the media is going to give the Republicans any credit for being ahead of the curve and picking women as a running mate in an election for the White House? Of course not. And did the media go out there and say that any attack on Sarah Palin 
was sexism that you couldn't say those things about a woman. No, the media torched her. The media were going out and going and doing all the attacks that if we were to do the same to uh, whoever Joe Biden picks, they would go off and say a sexism and you know proof of the male patriarchy. Why? Because they are complete and total hypocrites. So we do got to pay attention to who Joe Biden picks as his running mate because everybody knows that's who's going to be really running the show here. And so as we do that, uh, we can go, uh, talk about all the analysis about Joe Biden, but really the important analysis will be over who he picks as his running mate, what you know apparently her political philosophy is. But knowing Joe Biden and trying to pander to the far-left extremists is going to pick one of the worst people for vice president. You know, now there is some indication here. For instance, you know, if he were to pick someone like AOC. Now you're going off and going, AOC, she's not old enough for president. You're right. She's not old enough for president. But there is nothing in the Constitution about an age limit for the vice president. And whether the vice president has to meet the constitutional age requirement for a president, so he could try picking her to pander. Now, you know, hopefully his advisors are not dumb enough to pick someone like AOC, but you can see that he might pick someone that is AOC-like. And if he does, then we know his, his bid is over. The election you know, is pretty much a done deal at this point, and that the only way that a Democrat can defeat Donald Trump is by Republicans not coming out to vote is by Republicans being so overconfident that they don't show up. That would be the only way that the Democrats at this particular point in time would be able to go through and take the election. Now, Joe Biden, knowing that voter turnout, is going to be difficult for him. Uh, Upon Bernie Sanders suspending his campaign, Joe Biden is trying to go after Sanders supporters. Now, remember, there was uh, indications uh, in the polls uh, that had come out you know, a couple of weeks ago whereby the Bernie bros have stated that they will not support Joe Biden, that if Bernie Sanders drops out, they're going to stay home. Some of them are even indicating that, you know, while they preferred Bernie Sanders, if it came down to a choice between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, they would go with Donald Trump. So Biden is already having a problem here where the divisions within the Democrat Party created by Bernie Sanders is going to hurt Joe Biden. Because while it would be easy for the Democrats and everything to join with the Bernie bros and go around Bernie Sanders, it turns out that the revolution that Bernie Sanders has created uh, doesn't work the other way, whereby they go, it's Bernie or bust. We're not interested in the corporate Democrats, right? And that's what they go through because they see the corporate Democrats as a sickness within the Democrat Party. And when they take a look at it and they take a look at Trump, there are areas of overlap between uh, Trump and Sanders. Ironically, you know, uh, when it comes to uh, issues of trade, yes, but, but I guess that's really about the only overlap, how they view that international trade has not necessarily benefited the United States. 
And so the Bernie Bros are going out there, and they've stated that they are not going to throw in their support for Joe Biden. Now, whether or not that holds or whether that was just them, you know, making a threat, you know, so that the rest of the Democrats will go, oh, crap, we got to select Bernie Sanders. Otherwise, we have no shot at beating Donald Trump or whether that was just, uh, you know, a toothless threat. That remains uh, to be seen. But Joe Biden is out there trying to make a play for Bernie Sanders supporters and try and bring them into his, you know, I guess, coalition for his electability. And as you know, as you know, Trump being the ever opportunist, the ultimate Internet troll has weighed in in creating division among the Democrat Party. So Donald Trump goes out there and he sends out this tweet, Bernie Sanders out. Thank you, Elizabeth Warren. If not for her, Bernie would have won almost every state on Super Tuesday. This ended just like the Democrats and the DNC wanted. Same as the crooked Hillary fiasco. The Bernie people should come to the Republican Party. Trade! Yes, so Donald Trump is already going out there, taking advantage of this opportunity to create some infighting, pointing out that, you know, if you do the analysis and make the assumption that the people who went out and voted for Elizabeth Warren during Super Tuesday, since she was trying to pander to the Bernie bros and basically ripping off Bernie Sanders, that those votes would have gone to Bernie Sanders if it wasn't for Elizabeth Warren splitting the vote. And therefore, Elizabeth Warren, another Democrat who just didn't know when to get out, she milked away too many votes on Super Tuesday away from Bernie Sanders and cost him the nomination. Now, of course, while this is designed to create some infighting, this is also designed to create some hate and resentment among the Bernie bros for the establishment Democrats that they view Joe Biden as and going off and reminding them, reminding them, you know, and this is why Donald Trump is so great, reminding them of Hillary Clinton back in 2016, stealing the nomination, how the emails that were leaked from the Democrat National Committee, the DNC, uh, you know, pointed out that they actually conspired against Bernie Sanders' campaign in 2016 and were rigging the entire Democrat uh, primaries during that to favor Hillary Clinton and disenfranchise Bernie Sanders. And so now, you know, Trump is out there reminding them of that and reminding them that, you know, Elizabeth Warren, who doesn't even believe in Sanders' ideology, was pandering you know, to Sanders' viewpoints on everything and split the vote among that wing of the Democrats, milking away too many uh, votes, milking away too many delegates for Bernie Sanders to be able to win, and that it may have just been another setup by the DNC to block, prevent, and deny Bernie Sanders from being able to get the nomination. Just like with crooked Hillary Clinton. I mean, this is great. And this isn't the only thing Donald Trump has done to inject himself a little bit into the Democrat primary in order to stir up a little bit of infighting. So Trump is out there, you know, during the press briefing, and he was asked about, you know, a question uh, related to the election and the Democrat primary. And Trump goes out there and he notices, you know, that, hey, you know what? It's interesting because we see all these Democrats 
as they were dropping out, going through and endorsing Joe Biden. And we saw, you know, throughout the primaries that, you know, endorsements were coming in for this candidate and that candidate throughout the left. But what was really interesting is who wasn't making an endorsement that president, former president Obama wasn't endorsing Joe Biden, that Joe Biden was his vice president for eight years. And now that he's running for president, Obama is silent. Why won't Obama endorse Biden? Does Obama, you know, lack of endorsement mean that he lacked any confidence in Joe Biden's ability to not only secure the nomination, but to run the country? You know, is what Trump is going off and insinuating and pointing out that Obama, you know, is not endorsing, you know, Joe Biden, but then goes off because he knows eventually uh, Obama will. So he's gone off and preemptively talked about, but, you know, I guess now that Joe Biden is the only one left in the race, Obama's endorsement will have to come at some point in time. But, you know, Obama's endorsement, you know, becomes meaningless is what he's insinuating because he's in his endorsement is for the only candidate left in the race, that he waited until there was no other choice, no other option but to endorse Joe Biden before making that announcement that he was just hoping for somebody else to win. So, I mean, this is just great as we go through and we see the fallout of Sanders suspending his campaign, how that's affecting the outcome of the 2020 election, Biden's, you know, making mistakes in the media and Trump as the opportunistic troll stirring up some shit inside of the Democrat party. And nobody does it like Trump. Nobody. I mean, Ted Cruz tried to come out and make his own little dig on the internet uh, related to NBC News, saying that they should end every broadcast and every tweet with a statement of paid for by the Communist Party of China. I mean, yeah, you know, that highlights an issue uh, with the media, but that doesn't really land or isn't really quite the same quality as what we get from Trump being out on the internet trolling the left. I mean, I get what Ted Cruz is trying to do with this, you know, pointing out that the left is trying to push Chinese propaganda all over the place, kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party because they're more interested in being able to maintain access to China's market of over a billion people, you know, for profits and they They just hate President Trump. And so they are basically attacking, the American media are attacking America, attacking the U.S. in order to try and, you know, stick it to President Trump. And they're promoting the narrative of one of the worst regimes on the planet. Second, maybe only to North Korea, as far as just how bad they are, for their people and in their government system. You know, and the only thing that is keeping China, you know, propped up, you know, uh, from facing what is going on in North Korea is the fact that China is not threatening people with nuclear weapons and warfare. So, I mean, China is a really horrible regime, and yet we see the media trying to push out their propaganda as the media doesn't care what China did uh, with this pandemic, the cover-up, how they cost uh, and cost millions, well, not millions of lives, but tens of thousands of lives 
you know, around the world. And who knows how many other lives will be lost because of China. So, yes, I mean, I get what Ted Cruz is doing and trying to point it out. It's just it didn't land as well as what Trump is able to do on the Internet, on Twitter. You know, and but let's face it, who can compete with Trump when it comes to being the master troll, of, you know, the master troll, being able to troll the left and get them so deranged that they lose their mind and make a whole bunch of mistakes. Nobody does it like Trump. And of course, Trump's ability to do so may be the saving grace for this election. Now, while we can go through and analyze a lot about the election, one of the things that we do have to really look at is how the coronavirus is going to shape out as far as campaigning in the twenty six or the 2020 election. I almost said 2016, but in the 2020 election. So we can go through and talk about the economics, the leaderships, the plan in order to try and address the whole issue of the coronavirus. But we also got to take a look at the impact on the election itself. Most importantly, the campaign style. See, while live streaming you know, is a possibility, Joe Biden has already proven that getting people to tune in to his live streams is pretty difficult because he is a boring candidate, especially when he doesn't have a crowd there, you know, trying to make him look more exciting than he is. And he doesn't have a crowd there for when he loses his train of thought, you know, and starts to pause. No, the crowd can try and cover up for him by starting to cheer and clap and make it look like he's taking a break just for the audience. But he can't do that on a live stream. And so live streaming will only further highlight the cognitive decline of Joe Biden. And we can go through and we can talk about that. But it also creates a weakness for President Trump. Because first off, the president, you know, being in the White House, can he really go off and do a live stream event as president? You know, because this is one of those issues where, you know, it gets really hard to separate the president from the candidate. So if he were to go off and this whole social distancing lasts throughout the summer and, you know, we still have to deal uh, with the outfall or the fallout, I'm sorry, outfall, but the fallout of the coronavirus. If Trump were to go through and start streaming his campaign speeches and campaign events from within the White House, how do you think the Democrats would react? They would start talking about the emolument clause and how he's using the Oval Office to benefit his live streaming campaign events. I mean, there's a reason why presidents don't campaign from within the White House. And so if he doesn't have the ability to go out and do these big campaign events, and social distancing means that as president, he lives in the White House, then live streaming campaign events from within the White House becomes a bit of a murky situation as it comes to federal election laws. But let's also face it. Donald Trump is only at his best giving out speeches when he is in front of a crowd. You know, when he doesn't have that crowd, he tries to take a more serious tone. And, you know, he does have a little bit of discombobulation uh, with the speeches where he goes off on side tangents. But when he's not in front of a crowd, he is getting used to doing some reading from a teleprompter when he's trying to address the nation or trying to provide an update to the nation. And 
you know, from within the White House, he's also able to give, you know, speeches such as the State of the Union, a lot of it without a whole lot of use of the teleprompter, you know, just making a few notes. But when we see him, you know, by himself or when we see him on a one-on-one situation or just giving a speech to uh, DC, we see that he's very toned down. He And yes, he can give a serious speech. And yes, he can go off and highlight some very important things and say a lot of great stuff. But let's face it, it's not as entertaining. You know, it's not as entertaining or as charismatic as when he's in a stadium with thousands of people packing in and he's able to play to the crowd. And that is important because it allows him to be able to show that he's just like everybody else, that he's able to make that connection, that he's able to relate to the average American, despite his overwhelming wealth. I mean, you take a look at the Democrats and as wealthy as they are trying to pander and act like they understand the middle and lower income levels of society. And it shows that they are completely clueless. Whereas Trump, he can go off and he can understand the average person, despite being very wealthy. And so he's always at his best when he's in front of a packed crowd and he's very entertaining and he's able to give good speeches, highlighting really good points, while also being able to provide that charismatic entertainment value that we have come to know and love so much. But what would Trump be? If it was just him behind the camera, you know, him being just like every other YouTuber out there. And we see this with, you know, the late night shows and the celebrities who no longer can count on traditional TV media production crews and all of that turning to YouTube and maybe live streaming on Periscope and such in order to try and reach out to their audience and their fan base and stay present in their mind in order to not disappear and fade away. And we find out that without all that production crew and all the makeup artists and all of that, that they have really no talent. They don't have half the talent as your regular YouTuber. And that in setting up in their home and now that they're starting to figure out how to do more production quality in their streams from their house and everything, that they still haven't figured out the basics. I mean, they're starting to go off and get the microphones figured out somewhat, at least to get a microphone and to use it. But as far as setting it up as your default recording input device and setting the levels and everything, they still haven't figured that out. So what would it be if Donald Trump, you know, just started going off and doing his campaign events? on YouTube, on live streams, would it be the same? Would he be as entertaining and as charismatic? Would he become the president that we know and love? Or would it be more like when he's doing media appearances or conducting official, you know, presidential business where, yeah, it's kind of good, but without that playing off the audience, it loses that certain something. So. It's not just how coronavirus going throughout the entire summer is going to affect Joe Biden, his campaign, and his ability to campaign. It's also going to affect President Trump and his ability to give those great entertaining 
campaign events and limit his ability to actually do so unless he's able to find a way to get out of the White House for a little bit of time in order to try and go to his residential home in New York in order to do this because there are those problems. All right, so outside of everything going on uh, with the campaign and the election news, there are some more serious things uh, that are going on. And I'll have to touch on this uh, briefly, but uh, as far as it goes, I'll have to come back to a lot of this stuff uh, for tomorrow's podcast. You know, the whole issue with Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and doing all that analysis kind of took up a lot more time than I thought it was going to. So as you know, uh, there have been uh, growing calls to defund the WHO for their involvement and coordinating with the Chinese government to cover up the seriousness of the coronavirus that then allowed it to escape China and become a global pandemic. Well, guess what? The WHO, being like all other leftist organizations, completely incapable of taking responsibility for their actions, for their cover-up, for all of their missteps, go out there along with a media that wants to pander to them, is going out there trying to scapegoat, sidestep, and avoid acknowledging what they did. And so as there's growing calls to defund the WHO, and President Trump seems to be open to that, along with other Republicans, the head of the World Health Organization has now come out to take aim at President Trump's criticism of the agency on Wednesday, telling him and other world leaders not to politicize the coronavirus if you don't want more body bags. So the WHO seems to be coming out there and threatening world leaders, saying, hey, guess what? You better not hold us accountable. You better not point out that we are a corrupt institution. You better not point out how we were helping China to cover this up because you'll be politicizing the coronavirus and targeting the WHO's incompetence and and complete and total disgusting behavior during all of this is going to lead to more body bags. The deaths will be on you if you criticize us. Just like all leftist institutions and organizations, they are completely incapable of just acknowledging what they did wrong, apologizing, and changing leadership to go out with the old and incompetent political hacks and in with actual responsible leaders. But instead, they go off with the media to attack, to attack uh, Republicans, to attack conservatives, to attack anybody who would dare criticize their handling or point out how horrific their actions were and point out their responsibility in the global pandemic. So they're going out and going, if you don't want many more body bags, you refrain from politicizing it. So critiquing their handling of it is politicizing it. No, no, it wasn't the WHO that politicized it when they were going off and trying to downplay the threat in order to pander to the communist Chinese government's narrative of the situation. They weren't politicizing it as they were trying to prop up China's handling of it and praising them for doing such a great job when really they were doing a horrific job. 
No, no, it's not the WHO politicizing it. It's anybody who dare question the WHO. They're the ones politicizing it. Oh, please. No, so please quarantine politicizing COVID-19, WHO director. You know, right now, the WHO can kiss my ass, right? You know, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to take a huge dump. I'm not even going to bother to use toilet paper, as precious as it is. Go to the WHO and force them to kiss my ass. You know, because right now, the WHO has been completely debunked as a legitimate organization. They have been completely exposed as partisan political hacks. They have no credibility on anything ever again, at least not until they change leadership and prove that they can have people that are making actual data and scientific-based decisions and not politically convenient decisions. I mean, the left always wants to go off and say, listen to the scientists, listen to the experts, listen to the data. And then we find out that all the people claiming to be experts and scientists are nothing but political hacks who don't even follow the data and the science themselves, but instead create a political narrative and then try to twist, bend, and manipulate the facts until it fits their particular narrative. And if they can't, they just throw in a bunch of assumptions, and we're not supposed to question that. So right now, the World Health Organization is a complete disgrace. They have no credibility, and no one should bother listening to them ever again. And the fact that there are celebrities out there who are fundraising in order to try and get money to the WHO is a complete disgrace and shows you what complete and total morons and buffoons the celebrity class is, like Lady Gaga. Okay, okay. So there's just one last thing that I want to get to uh, today. And then after this, I will go ahead and end this episode and save a lot of other things for tomorrow's episode. I know, I know. I I really wasn't expecting the issue with Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders to take as long as it did. So as you know, with the lockdown, it was not about being able to prevent the spread of COVID-19 or the Wuhan virus because, well, it doesn't look like containment is anywhere near an option, but rather to flatten the curve uh, for our medical capacity and be able to buy us some time in order to find you know, uh, a vaccine, uh, treatment, and other options in order to bring down the death rate. And we have two vaccines uh, right now that are in human trials. We find out that the drugs that President Trump has been promoting, the hydrodroxychloroquine, you know, however you pronounce that, uh, has been shown uh, to be very effective. And we're starting to see that as we're able to test for people who have gotten it and recovered, that using the plasma uh, from those people containing antibodies have become very effective also in treating those who have severe symptoms with the coronavirus. But we're also seeing that because of you know, the efforts and because of the actions that we have taken, uh, the Daily Wire is reporting that the White House coronavirus model gets updated second time in four days, downgrading deaths, hospitalizations again. You know, and it goes on to read that for the second time in four days, a coronavirus projection model heavily relied upon by the White House task force 
has been updated, again, dropping the number of projected deaths and hospitalizations. The Institute of Mental Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington dropped its estimated death projections on Sunday for the first wave of the pandemic to 81,766 deaths. Now, while that is a lot of deaths, and that is down from the previous projection of 91,531 deaths, that's starting to fall more back in line with what we see with other viruses and you know other issues uh, that aren't even related to viruses um, throughout the country. And so that we can start getting around to treating this like we do other threats. And we go through and we take a look at all of this as positive signs. But one of the things that we keep coming across, you know, because we don't have a controlled group, is whether these revisions downward is uh, the result of our social distancing and the measures that we have put in place, or whether it was a result of the fact that we were overestimating the threat to begin with. And you can't argue the road not taken. You can't argue the what would have been if we would have done things differently. I mean, it, it is pretty much impossible to be able to see how things would have played out if we didn't actually do anything. We can get some indications, yes, by looking at other countries that were late to implement social distancing or measures. And if that's the case, we could take a look at places like Italy and go, thankfully, we took actions. But it's hard to go through and argue about you know, what we don't know. But what we do know is that what we have done has been effective in reducing the deaths and safeguarding the United States. And that our actions in saving lives has bought us time in order to find the cures and treatments to bring down the overall death rates which means we will be able to go through and start opening up the economy, getting people back to work, and rebuilding the economic prosperity that we have come to enjoy over the past three years. And the last thing that I would say about this is come November, when it comes time to go to the ballot uh, box and cast your vote, if we get to a situation where Trump, having led the way he has in this situation, has saved a lot of lives. And then we get the economy back rolling here uh, within uh, a month. And by the time we get to November's election, the economy is picking up and go, starting to get back to around normal, get back to that economic prosperity. Well, if that is the case, being able to see what Trump did to protect us and how he was able to recover the economy and bring back prosperity, if that happens by November's election, then there is no way that Trump is going to lose. It is going to be like a landslide. I don't know. It might be like the Reagan landslide where even all these Democrat states, maybe except for one, would have to admit that you know whether you like the way he speaks or whether you like his other policies, his handling of the economy, bringing prosperity, and just giving us the ability to live so that we have the comfort to argue about all the other issues is un, you know, is unmatched by any other politician in D.C. That maybe even they would go through 
and vote for Donald Trump in massive numbers. We'll see what what wins out here, right? Now, that's assuming all of that happens, but we'll see what wins out for the left. Is it actually about results or is it just about narratives and anger and hate culture that drives the left? Can they actually stand being happy? Or is it that they just are such fundamentally unhappy people that their biggest complaint is not having anything really to complain about? All right, so that's it uh, for this episode. I'd like to thank you so much for tuning in. If you're listening to this podcast on uh, iTunes or really anywhere you're listening to this podcast, leave me a rating and review please, so that other people can find the show and know, you know, what to expect and, you know, whether it's for them, you know, share this around. You know, the only way that we're going to be able to get through the left-wing censorship of the internet and drown out the crazy left-wing voices is by going through and searching out new emerging conservative voices and giving them a chance, you know, going to their websites and checking out you know, their written content, going through their YouTube channels and subscribing to their podcast and sharing their podcast. You know, what the left relies upon is in their ability to control and censor information on the internet, being able to keep emerging conservative voices out of public view so that they're unable to attract an audience because nobody can find them. And, you know, with that, they're able to direct traffic all to the liberal sites, which means only the liberal voices are able to grow uh, their particular audience, which means that online censorship is not just about information and narrative control. It's also about controlling the flood of money from advertisements and sponsorships. And online censorship is really just another means of trying to defund and deplatform conservatives, knowing that if they can prevent them from being known or being found, and they keep producing the shows and their podcasts, and yet their lack of audience because nobody can find them is keeping down their ability to afford to keep producing the podcast, that the conservatives go away. So they're trying to use censorship to starve conservative voices of the ability to make money and increase their production, hire people, and get more information out there, while also being able to keep left-wing sources well-funded and flooding the Internet. So I want you to do me a favor here. Not only do I want you you know, to share this podcast and don't forget to hit subscribe and download every episode, But I also want you to take some time each and every week to try and seek out a new conservative voice and then give them a chance. Give them a chance. See see the quality of their writing. See the quality of their podcast. See the quality of their YouTube videos. You know, with the podcast, give them about the first 20 episodes to show because it takes quite quite a bit of time to get used to being behind the microphone. And on YouTube, it does, well, take quite a bit of time to get used to being on camera and developing your voice. So don't just watch the one video. 
you know, wait until they have been out for a while and you've given them a chance, you know, to really show what they have before you make up your mind and your decision on it. But give them a chance and help share their content so that you can help grow their audience. Because if we're not going through and actively trying to support and grow conservative voices, that means the left will be the ones completely dominating all information on the internet. And we need to start pressuring our elected representatives and the conservative movement to start pushing back on internet censorship and social media censorship and start holding them accountable for their actions. For instance, they claim to be platforms, but they act like publishers. That's actually fraud. And if they want the protection of being a platform, then they have to act like platforms. And if they violate that, there has to be consequences. And we need to push for that among our Republican you know, representatives to start holding these left-wing you know, tech companies accountable to lying about being a platform if, in fact, all their actions indicate they are a publisher. All right, thank you so much for your time and attention, and I will be back again soon.